Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it is a Bitcoin cash takeover. The controversial cryptocurrency is the best performing coin in the past month. And the prophet himself, Roger Veer, a.k.a. Bitcoin Jesus, is back with a new prophecy that could send the cryptocurrency universe reeling. He will talk to us exclusively. Deal with it. But first, we start off with what we are calling the three prongs of pain. Cue the scary music. The market selling off, snapping its eight-day winning streak as pressure increases from rising rates, a stronger dollar, and oil prices on the rise. Could these three major headwinds lead us down the river to selling hell again? Ooh. Like we saw earlier this year. We are over-dramatizing a little bit, guys. Ooh, but you get, what, mean. Still you get what we mean here. I didn't drift. We're looking yeah. for causality here is what we're looking for, Mel. Mm -hmm. After eight days, we're looking for a reason why the market was down seven-tenths of one percent in terms of the S&P 500. I get it, but mm -hmm. I could counter and say I can make a bullish argument for all three. Higher rates should do well for the financials. Pete and Tim talk about that all the time. Stronger dollar stands to reason that maybe the consumer will do well. Is right. And higher oil means the economy, theoretically, is doing better. So all those three things in that pastiche could be viewed as a positive. It all depends on your dogma. I'm not going to get crazy today. Dogma. The market was up eight days in a row. Probably a reason for the S&P to sell off. Closed off the lows on the day. Not a big deal. I do think at a certain point, if this yield curve continues to flatten, I'll get concerned. But all the things we talked about now, at least for me, not that three prongs of what? Pain. Of pain. pain. No, pain. No, not yet. What's your dogma, Dan? Let me give you three prongs right here, okay? So <laughs> oh, I your know. pastiche. pastiche. We have a 20-year chart no, it's of, what's your of, 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 of the 10-year Treasury. The high of 2000, the year 2000, was about 7%. And then you get, draw a line, and you take it to the high in 2007. It was about 5.25%. And you take that line all the way to where we are right now. Okay, what did we close? 307 or something mm -hmm. like that? That's a beautiful downtrend. What happened in each of those other two prongs? The equity market topped out. I'm just saying. That's so, not my But why are you telling me that that downtrend that, is going? Well, I mean, do you, I mean do you, listen, is we've had a massive rally off of the lows, you know, uh, in the 10-year yield over the last year and a half. I mean, it's more than doubled, right? So, I mean, I'm just telling you, if you look at this 30-year historical downtrend in yields, and then you look at the relative tops that we've seen that actually coincide with tops in the equity market. Well, this is fast money, so I'm not going to talk about 2000 or the last 15 years now. Dan brings up a good point. I, I will say that the, <laughs> the biggest move to... The, the move today in the 10-year um, was reminiscent of the big move we had on February 5th, which was essentially taking the markets into a very negative tailspin. And, and if you want to look, again, the chartists who I think really technicians, uh, I think, are largely in charge right now, you can look at that S&P failure uh, where we did today, holding the 100, but ultimately, again, you've got another downtrend line that I think still needs to be proven. Um, so the dollar strength, I, I think people are making a bigger deal about this than they should. I think on relative terms, the dollar's back to where it was in December. 
Uh, a lot of people want to talk this is going to be that next big move in the DXY, which was what we had in 2014 and 15. Remember this, though. The dollar's moves, in some cases, are previewing a sense of what the Fed is going to do. That is exactly what the dollar did in 2014-15. So if you think that this is a move that the Fed is going to get out ahead of its skis, and rates did that, too, that's why markets are so It sounds like you can see the pastiche the guy had laid out, then. I mean, the dollar move is not as big as you think. That oil is moving up because of supply, geopolitical and also seasonal right effects in terms of gasoline prices. And interest rates are telegraphing what the Fed is going to do, not necessarily the Fed is going to step out over its skis. Pete, get the pastiche going. I don't know what you just asked me. I'll I, add my I, pastiche. No, so, and no, guys no. started this because we no, now have to so, live within guys' dogma and his no, pastiche. No, what do you do? Okay. <laughs> this is getting like out of hand. With the what is your dogma on the markets then, Tim? Do you say, do you say that we're fine here? Uh, my, my view is that markets are in a difficult period for digesting this next move higher. This was a substantial move higher in rates. Uh, and I do think that the markets, if anything, are range-bound and have a move to the downside coming. And... and Quite honestly, it's always about the velocity of the move in the 10-year. And, and people are looking at that, and the move that we had today was significant. But to Guy's point, we're down seven-tenths of a percent today. And we've been up, 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 up over the, the previous trading session. So Eight. I don't think this yes. is a reason no. to suddenly say, and I know that's not what you said, but I, I don't think that's reason to say, you know what? We've topped out. I don't think we've necessarily. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying you said that. I actually believe we will be in the range. I think that we're all. And I think we are in that range. And And we've been in a trading range for a while. Let me just add one thing, though, why I think that range may get tighter and tighter, and we may stay between, let's say, 2,800 and 2,500 for the balance of the year. Look at what happened off of the lows. Yeah, the S&P's rallied 8%. We've seen the prior leaders. We saw Amazon. We saw Facebook. We saw Apple. Facebook hasn't made a new high, but Amazon um, and Apple did. And where's the S&P 500? It really can't make any traction. Even after eight days up in a row, it's still down 5.5% from those January highs. So I just think We that's- have had rotation, but it's technology names that have absolutely led. No one will ever deny that. But don't you appreciate the fact that you're seeing energy, maybe even the financials no, starting to small. move? Let me just tell you something. I understand. Thing, everybody's argument is energy is too about, small. We're talking about that dollar rally in 2014. Yeah. What happened when the dollar really started to get going? Crude got killed. It got killed. It got cut in half. You know, so if you see the equity names, DXY back at 100, where do you think crude's going to be? And, and I don't think the DXY is getting there. I think there's actually heavy resistance for it. But let's not turn this into a macro show. I mean, bottom line is, I think regional banks do very well in this environment. The strange thing about what's going on for banks is, I think they do well until they don't. Um, the problem here is that people think that the Fed ultimately is going to get too far, or that ultimately, and especially in the case of regionals, you can't tell me that there's not a credit event uh, or a sensitivity, especially on. Uh, on the household level. I, I believe that. And I think ultimately what's happening, while it's good because it means the economy's in a better place, and right now it's great for those banks, it's not good. The Fed's going to go off of data. And, and going back to this for one more second with energy, Dan, if, if energy just flattens out, if oil just flattens yeah. out, there is still plenty of room for the big name that did actually they actually want to see that. Yes. Well, and it, but, it, but the fact that they lagged as much as they did, we're finally seeing the move out of the Exxons of the world from 77 back up into the 80s. I still think there's plenty but, of runway, but, despite oil doesn't have to go to off 80. Off of last month's low, where's the leadership been? I mean, really, where's it been? It's been energy, and then we've seen a handful, a very narrow group of technology, and the broad market has not really I made disagree up any- on the narrow group of technology. I think we've really? had a broad group of technology, including when you look across some of the chip names as well. The, the, Nvidia just the other day was at an all-time 7, 8% from its highs that it made earlier in the year. I it mean, was 16%, right, yeah, but the at S- that time. The SMH, if anything, led this last seven or eight-day rally. I'm not saying that necessarily we're back to where okay, we were. But doesn't but, it feel but, like we're but, taking one step forward, two steps back? Well, I, I agree that I think that the market, there's a lot of pain below the surface. I think that the indices have actually looked 
relatively fine, especially when you consider where we've come from. But look at a lot of these industrial names. Look at some of these consumer names. I mean, they're down 20 percent. And they haven't really bounced. So what are they telling you? And what are the banks? The banks can't get out of their own way right now, you know? So, I mean, I just I just don't see a lot of leadership. A day ago, we had City over 73. We had uh, Bank of America well over 31. We had J.P. Morgan screaming to the upside, pushing towards 120. I mean, I don't agree with that. I, and Goldman Sachs actually finally started to move back up to the upswing. But what does it tell you that the leadership, right, the leadership stocks are always the ones, the first ones to sell off whenever we test the upper bound of the range? Whenever there's a hiccup in the stock market, it's a leadership, it's a fang stocks today. The banks don't get a bid, even though rates are at, since, you know, 2011 highs on the 10-year yield. I mean, well, I, what does that say about the market look, that we are I in? I agree with Dan on this, and I think what Dan is saying is that actually, look, the fang stocks have been the ones that have led us over the last two weeks. Yeah. And in fact... Think about the times that we've been most concerned about the market, where the markets have done okay, but the, it's been a very narrow move by a handful of mega, I mean, mega, mega cap stocks and not a lot else. Yankees are playing 700 baseball. They're 28 and 12, off to an amazing start. But where's the leadership yeah, been on the, that team? I it's been from a lot of role transition. players, and the Yankees still Pretty are the good. best team in baseball. The point is... <laughs> You hear the little ding, ding, well, ding? Well, you saw them you against the A's over the weekend. sometimes your big guns to Thank show Thank you, because most people don't care about the Yankees like No, I understand. Hey, I'm not saying that. I just mean to I make it amazing. Oh, I'm don't sorry. I would bet there. most don't of our there. viewers would actually be totally In other words, you don't need leadership from your big guns all the time in order for well, the market to Well, that's all we've had. But, I mean, but that's all we've had. I mean, like, that, that's the point. But we don't. Okay, but like, look where the market is. Look at where your big leaders are. Okay. Okay. So here's the, here's the question. Makes you wonder well, if they've done that question. move for Stanton. In this market environment where we are range bound, where the leadership primarily has been from mega cap stocks, where do you invest? Do you invest still in the mega cap stocks? Absolutely. You still go there knowing that the next pullback is going to happen. There are take some those names. Mega cap stocks uh, down more than the rest of the market. I'll even give you a name. Just for instance, today there are mm -hmm. two names that I added. I, I didn't add. I added to Bank of America, which I already owned, and I added to that because I think the financials are going to take the next leg up. But the other name was Disney. It's a name that's been wallowing around, and we'll go into it later. But I mean, there are names out there that I think we would all consider to be fairly large. They're either Dow components or somewhere very close in that but top 100. But that's not leadership. That's a value play, and it's a turnaround but play. It's not leadership. It's down. It's trading at 102 bucks, and it's down from 122 three years ago. Three I mean, years so ago. it's not a leader. Right, it's a value right. play. Here's, okay. Better be patient. Right. I don't look well, at things. Well, I asked the question: What do you buy? Our next guest has some ideas. Good. He says there are three Thank stocks goodness. to buy on the dip right now. Let's go off the charts with Robert Slimer of Fundstrat Global Advisors. Hi, Rob. Hey, Melissa. So, look, obviously a lot of debate on yields moving through 3%, adding some jitters. We just talked about or just heard about a lot of leadership being extended and starting to roll over, but there's been a lot of chop. And, in fact, the way we look at it, this is an intermediate-term correction. So they tend to last one to two quarters. The market's working through it and slowly, progressively coming out of it. The S&P's holding its 200-day. And when we look at the Russell 2000 here, it's been in a trading range for most of the quarter and starting to, starting to challenge the upper end of the trading range. So from a very short-term standpoint, it's not unusual to see some of these leaders start to pull back. The Russell's at 1,600. There's a lot of resistance there. It starts to pull back. But when you look underneath the surface of the S&P 500, the advanced decline line, it too has been in a trading range, and it's starting to break out to all-time new highs. That's a significant event. And it's very unusual to see the market start a major downturn with breadth in the S&P 500 being at all-time new highs. So I still think this setup is pretty constructive. I think longer term, as we move through 18, we've got problems. But right here, right now, I think this is just a normal short-term pullback. When you look at a lot of the secular leaders, they've had a big, big run. And it's not surprising to me, technically, that they start to pull back.
But some of these laggards are really interesting as well. Here's Bank of America, sideways for most of the quarter, first quarter into the second quarter, coming right off its 200-day moving average, not dissimilar to what it did back in 16. That's a pretty attractive setup. That's a full four to five month correction. You're just starting to see a turn and relative strength starting to prove. So still an interesting name, still viable in my opinion. I still think you see new highs in that name before the cycle's done. And FedEx is another name, right? It's not an extended structural leader or secular leader. It's not way up there. It's sitting right at the 200 day. It's had a little bounce pulling back here. Relative strength is trying to make the corner. I still think that's a timely name from a long-term standpoint as well. And then lastly, doing a little bit of dumpster diving, this is Under Armour, and I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure we'll uh, have some comments on this from the desk. But if you look at that purple 200-day or 40-week moving average as a weekly chart going back to 2009, this has been in a pretty extended bear market now for years, and it's just starting to come out of that trading range. It has had a big run in the last couple of days, but this little trading range is actually 15 to 18 bucks. I think the stock can see $21. That's another 20% from where we are. I think it's an attractive long-term candidate that does not look like the market, is not overbought, not overowned. I think it's timely here. All right, so some interesting stocks from Rob. Uh, should we invite him over? Absolutely. Right, Just Rob, on the Under Armour Under Armour Come on over, Rob. Ryan will bring the chair in. Great to see you, brother. Thank you, Ryan. So, Rob, I noticed on all three of those charts of the stocks that you said to buy, you have relative to the S&P 500 in this, in this stock price mirrors the relative strength. That's what you want to see. You don't want to see um, relative strength to be negative or weaker than the S&P 500 and then that, fill yes. the gap in. I believe so. I think okay. relative strength often, it doesn't always, but it often leads. And what I like to look for is divergences where price may be making a low and relative strength is leading to the upside, certainly confirming what we're seeing in price. So I think it's pretty healthy action that we're seeing in those names. I understand um, this is a technical call on Under Armour, but my pushback would be fundamentally Under Armour's had a, first of all, it's had a huge bounce off the lows a few months ago. I think it was trading at 11 and a half, trading 17 now. That's a pretty significant move. My sense is most of the shorts have gotten squeezed. And then you look at it, where's the growth and does it still deserve to be trading at 45 times next year's numbers? And I would say no. So. I'm more in the camp that maybe this lasts another couple days, but I'd rather fade Under Armour than try to buy the breakout here. Dan's making a face at me. He always does, though. Well, no, you know, it's funny. The, the Under Armour is very similar to this the Disney conversation yeah. we have. It's 100%. really only going to move if something fundamental switches it. Back to the Russell, though. That was one of the first charts that you had right yeah. there. What do you think? I mean, it got rejected at that level two prior times. It kind of paused here. Is that the first major index that's going to break out? I think it is. I think that... We've had a multi-month, multi-quarter consolidation in so many stocks. Russell's leading, helped by the dollar. Tim's pointed that out many times. I do agree with you, 94 is pretty heavy resistance on the, on the DXY. But I think it's heading higher. And this little pullback, I'd be surprised if you even got halfway down the range. I think it's still a healthy technical setup, and breadth is pretty decent. All right, Rob, good to see you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Rob Slimer of Fundstrat. You've dabbled in the uh, Russell? Yeah, I have. In fact, I threw, I threw a little bit more out yesterday, and I still feel okay with that. It's, it's, it's a very tactical, active trade. Um, I think the things that also work are high-end and luxury. So there's some global names, LVMH, um, even a Sotheby's. These are names that I think in this environment you're seeing the high-end outperform. Coming up from market hell to crypto heaven. Bitcoin Jesus is back and he'll tell us why he thinks Wall Street is going to go crazy for Bitcoin cash. Plus hedge fund heavyweights are piling into one group of stocks. We'll tell you what they are and if you should follow the smart money. And later, Pete Najarian here is stepping up to the plate. He says there is one name he is so excited to pitch he can barely contain Take himself. Yeah, calm well, down, Pete. Calm down, Pete. Oh, hey, hey now. There's like, a lot going on. So give us a fast pitch. We are live Ooh. from Times Square in New York City where the skies are darkening. We are awaiting a major storm. Whoa. Yeah, look at that. Much more fast money oh, right after this. It could be Bitcoin. Maybe.
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on some of the largest hedge fund heavyweights making some big moves. Let's get to Leslie Picker in the newsroom. Hi, Les. Hey, Melissa. That's right. 13F filing day is here. The deadline just passed. And hedge funds added and took new positions in technology during the first quarter, but selectively. So as if you recall, the sector experienced some significant volatility during the quarter. And it's clear that hedge funds really sorted through those and picked their winners and their losers. Facebook did get some attention with Tiger, third point, Greenlight, all adding to their positions during the quarter. Same was true with Google's parent company, Alphabet, with Tiger Management, Duquesne, all increasing their stakes there, and Amazon with more, and Duquesne putting money to work in the e-commerce giant. Now, Apple was a bit more of a mixed bag. Greenlight and more, and Appaloosa all slashed their stakes or sold out, but Berkshire Hathaway, of course, remains a believer, as Warren Buffett mentioned on CNBC. Jana also took a small new position in Apple. And some smaller tech companies outside of the fangs also saw some interesting moves. Twitter saw a boost from Tiger Management and Tiger Global, which each took new stakes in that one. However, Greenlight reduced its stake in Twitter. And now a few well-known hedge funds took positions in Dropbox, which of course went public during the quarter. Soros, Tiger Global, and Jana, just to name a few. Now the rally we've seen in energy took place largely after the quarter ended. But before that, we actually saw some hedge funds cut their exposure to energy. Not the best timing there. Stan Druckenmiller's Duquesne dissolved its stakes in Apache, EOG Resources and Marathon Oil, among others in the industry. But keep in mind, these are as of the end of the third quarter and may have changed since then. Melissa. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker in the newsroom with the latest on the 13F filings that we've gotten so far. You know what stock is really moving in the after hours based on a revelation from a 13F filing? Teva Pharmaceuticals is up almost 3% after hours. Warren Buffett virtually doubled his stake to $700 million, and it is, you know, flying. 115. I think he increased his stake by 115%, more than doubled, as you just said. Sol Bear is the chairman of Teva, ex-Celgene, and they hired a new CEO in the fall. Probably, well, one of the best generic companies out there. Very reasonable valuation and a significant short interest. So this is... This is interesting that Mr. Buffett gets in a name like this, but we've talked about this before, and I, this is one that I actually would follow mm. the Oracle in after. And the Oracle's been pretty right on for the most, for the most part when we've seen some of the huge buys that he's made. We know no, for the most part he's going to hold on to them. David Tepper stands out for me. Yeah. We talked about it on the closing bell, how he bought 8 million more shares of Micron. I thought that was pretty interesting. Oh. I was concerned he was going to start dumping it after the move that it had made. Also, MGM, he added to that as well. He so, might have already. Right. I mean, so, so maybe, maybe. I, obviously, it's in that three month, but, but it's still pretty interesting to see some of the numbers and just how big they've gotten in some of these different places. Wells Fargo is another place. Well, well, well I don't think you chase a 13F. I, I will point out that I think a lot of these guys are much faster traders than a Warren Buffett. And when Warren makes that move, um, he's still in that position. Yes. Yep. Coming up, media mogul Tom Rogers is going all in on sports gambling. He'll be here to explain why his newest company is ahead of the betting curve. And check out the weather outside. Starting to rain pretty hard out there as we were expecting the thunderstorm to pick up in the next hour. Amen. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. <laughs> you won, right? Right, 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 ahead. right, right. We can leave winners right, right now. Right, right, okay, right, so we go. Yeah, let's go. Right, let's go. Let's go. Come on, let's go. Come on, here we go. Yeah, could be the future of sports as legalized gambling nears a reality. But we'll head out to Vegas to tell you who the winners and losers could be. Plus, as hodlers descend on Manhattan for the world's biggest Bitcoin conference. 
Bitcoin Jesus, a.k.a. Roger Veer, makes his return to Fast Money to tell us why the Bitcoin Cash software upgrade could change the crypto world forever. Bitcoin Jesus speaks when Fast Money returns. earlier today and I wow. sort of believed it but I mean it's really coming down cats and dogs Ooh. right now the you can song, see that you know I don't know oh come on I don't know why you ask like my fire the doors, hey. doors. Hey. doors. Oh, so quick I wonder how I know amazing thank you Max <laughs> Max Myers all right, we got a Bitcoin alert here, the largest blockchain conference of the year happening right now in New York City our own Brian Kelly is there reporting for us on the ground check it out all right, hey all, it's BK. I'm here at Consensus Blockchain Week in New York City. Look at this, 8,500 people around me. This place is insane. If you want to see what an emerging asset class looks like, this is what it is. This is where it's happening. If you don't understand it, you're not paying attention. I was on a panel today with some of the biggest traders of Bitcoin in the world. They're getting ready for securities tokens. That's going to be the new thing that's coming out. Custody, that's coming. We already talked about NYSE and ICE. Today announced that that's coming out. I think there'll probably be some other announcements in the next couple of days. But just look around. There's a mix of hoodies, guys like me in sports jackets. This is a fun asset class. Glad you guys can join me next year. It might even be bigger. Talk to you later. Thanks for that, BK. Be nice if people could have been quiet when BK was, was talking. I mean, I mean, we're quiet. I mean, I'm sure we like 8,000 people. Yeah. 8, he excited. I mean, he it looks is really exciting. There are a lot of things happening you know, right now. He's talking about custodians. He's talking yes. about institutional. You know, I don't know if you guys saw that Coinbase announcement. I mean, Coinbase just mm -hmm. launched basically prime brokerage services for institutional customers today. They're going after that in a big way. If you think about last year when they hit some number of user accounts, all retail, more than Schwab or something like that, they're obviously set their sights on bigger things. You know, they're uh, kind of the kingmaker right yeah. now. It's pretty amazing. I mean, they, they are, first of all, they were obviously the ones that people were waiting for to anoint the next currency to follow. Yep. And in this case, to the extent that they can actually put institutions in the trade, that is what everybody wants to see. All right. Well, consensus isn't the only big thing happening in the crypto world this week. Bitcoin Cash doing a fork this afternoon. The software update sending it lower by more than 5%. But Bitcoin Cash is still the best performing large cap coin over the last month. So what will it mean for the crypto going forward? Who better to ask than Bitcoin Jesus himself? Roger Veer joins us on the phone from Bangkok, where he, he's at, of course, of course, a Bitcoin conference. Roger, great to have you back. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me again. Um, so explain to us what exactly will happen with this update and, and why do you think uh, the coin traded lower into the update? Um, uh, I think uh, it, it's good to call it an update rather than a fork because there was no fork. Uh, it was just simply an update to make room for even more people around the world to be able to use Bitcoin Cash as money and uh, in commerce for the world. Uh, that's what actually gives it its underlying value is that you can use it in commerce to pay for things, whereas a lot of these other you know, tokens out there have just kind of turned into speculative assets that don't actually have any utility, whereas Bitcoin Cash is, is targeting being used as money for the entire world. And uh, just last night we were at uh, the Bitcoin Center Thailand where you can literally pay uh, in Bitcoin Cash for your meal and beer and coffee and all that sort of thing. And uh, it's really, really popular here in Thailand. And then tomorrow I fly to, uh, to Hong Kong for the e-commerce conference put on by the Canadian billionaire Calvin Air, who's uh, all in on Bitcoin Cash as well because he realizes that it has usefulness as uh, money for the world. And that's what we're busy building. So the entire point of the upgrade was to make room for the entire world to be able to use Bitcoin Cash as money. And right now Bitcoin Cash has somewhere around the ballpark of 
30 times the transactional throughput capacity of Bitcoin Core at this point. So if you're a business looking to build a infrastructure upon a cryptocurrency, Bitcoin Cash looks like the best choice because it has room for you and all your friends to, sure. to come on board the Bitcoin Cash bandwagon. <laughs> when you compare the transaction speeds, uh, you know, Bitcoin Cash is clearly built for transactions. But at this point, the liquidity is in the other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin as well as Ethereum. And a lot of platforms are being built out in emerging markets, for instance, um, based on Bitcoin because they want to go to where the cryptocurrency, the cryptocurrency that has liquidity. At what point, Roger, do you say, you know what? In order for Bitcoin Cash to really catch on, it's got to have a critical mass in terms of liquidity uh, and market cap. Well, remember that the Bitcoin Cash market cap and price today is more than what Bitcoin Cores was just one single year ago. Uh, back when they were, they were, you know, there was only one Bitcoin at that point. They split into both Bitcoin Core and Bitcoin Cash on August 1st of last year. So the fact that Bitcoin Cash has a bigger market cap than Bitcoin did just a year ago, that's a pretty darn bullish sign. You have just about the same amount of merchant adoption for both. Uh, all the big boys like Coinbase's and Blockchain.info and, and BitPay's also have full support for both Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Core. And all the new innovation is taking place on top of Bitcoin Cash. It's no longer talk, taking place on top of Bitcoin Core. And that's why you see all of these existing businesses building their new products on top of Bitcoin Cash, just like myself as the CEO of Bitcoin.com. We're building all of our new infrastructure and all of our focus is on building on top of Bitcoin Cash because it actually works, whereas Bitcoin Core at this point, sadly, it breaks my heart to say this, but it's slow, expensive, and unreliable. And it's, it's that by intentional design of these core developers that managed to, to fork the economic code of the project and take it in a completely different direction than the, the path that it was on that originally made it into this worldwide phenomenon and success that it is today. So if you change the economic code, you're going to change the economic outcome, and that's what they've done with a with Bitcoin Core and economic, uh, the economic path that Bitcoin Cash is on is the one that led to Bitcoin's original success. So that's why I'm incredibly bullish on Bitcoin Cash for the right. exact same reasons I was bullish on Bitcoin back in 2011 when I became the first investor in the world to start investing in this space. Hey, hey, Roger, so it seems like Bitcoin Core, um, the thesis around owning it is really that store of value. And it seems like you're making a pretty strong case that you want to use this as a currency. That's not something people are really talking about with Core. What is the inflection point where we're going to start seeing this? You talk about people are using it in Bangkok to buy coffee. When are we going to see it here in the United States? Because that's really something that could cause U.S. investors on their Coinbase accounts to start really thinking about it the way you're thinking about it. Uh, it's already happening. So Coinbase is already accepting Bitcoin Cash for payments in their furniture processing platform. You can already buy Bitcoin Cash uh, in your Coinbase account. You can spend Bitcoin Cash any, with any merchant that's accepting BitPay as their payment processor. Uh, it's already happening all over the world. And when you look at all these people that are busy trading digital assets or, or let's take traditional stocks, the reason people trade traditional stocks is because these are companies producing a product and hopefully they'll have dividends someday and they're actually engaged in economic activity. When people say that Bitcoin Core should only be used as a store of value, well, what is it that you're storing if there's not anything that it can actually do? Whereas with Bitcoin Cash, people will be interested in using it as a store of value because you can spend it anywhere as cash, just like people use the U.S. dollar as a store of value because you can spend it anywhere as cash. And if you take away the spendability of mm -hmm. Bitcoin Core, you destroy its usefulness as a store of value as well. Uh, in terms of Wall Street's acceptance of Bitcoin Cash, Roger, how important is that to your thesis um, that Bitcoin Cash will gain that critical mass and maybe even someday uh, surpass Bitcoin Core in market cap? I mean, are you looking forward to the day? Do you think if, if Bitcoin Cash futures were traded, it would help with acceptance? Things like the steps like that? Uh, of course, that's very are important. Are you lobbying? I mean, is there a way happening. to lobby for that? Are you doing that yourself?
Um, I'm sure there's lots of people out there lobbying it, and we just saw the Winkle box, uh, the Winkle Vice uh, Exchange, Boss's Exchange, uh, and launch full support for Bitcoin Cash on their exchange as well. So it's happening uh, fast and furious around the world. Bitcoin Cash adoption is happening, uh, despite all the names calling in vitriol that's happening on the internet. Bitcoin Cash works as money. Bitcoin Core sadly no longer does, and I have a fantastic example of that for anybody that's not sure. Um, I received my very first Bitcoin ever from what's called a Bitcoin faucet, which is just a website that gives out a little bit of Bitcoin to anybody who wants uh, it. That's no longer possible on Bitcoin Core, but anyone anywhere in the world who goes to free.bitcoin.com will get about 15 cents worth of Bitcoin Cash for free. That's possible on Bitcoin Cash today. That's impossible on Bitcoin Core. So I invite people to give both Bitcoin Core and Bitcoin Cash a try. And it'll be clear to them which one's useful as money and which one's not. Last quick question, Roger. Got to get a prediction from you. Where will Bitcoin Cash be in a year? Where will Bitcoin be in a year? I think both of them will be higher than where they are now. But I think Bitcoin Cash will have much, much more significant gains than Bitcoin Core. You want to give us a number? I think Bitcoin Cash will double by the end of the year. Uh, I think Bitcoin Core maybe will be up another 10, 20, 30 percent. That's, that's just a guess, of course. Okay. Roger, great to speak with you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Enjoy Bangkok. Roger Veer, otherwise known as Bitcoin Jesus, one of the first investors, of course, in Bitcoin Core. He bought it at a dollar. A dollar Bitcoin. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe Bitcoin Buddha. I mean, I think bottom line here is this this guy, he's saying a couple things that are important, and I think there's mildly contradictory. Um, basically, speculative assets with no utility, and, and yet I think it's going higher. And to be clear, he, he said Bitcoin Cash has utility, but he doesn't think that uh, Bitcoin Core does. Um, and, and really gets down to why are people trading cryptocurrencies? We had this discussion yesterday, I think, because they're opaque and they're volatile, and that's, you know, All right. it's not because they're store of value. Still ahead, former TiVo CEO, media mogul Tom Rogers is behind an app that could get a huge boost from legalized sports gambling. He'll be here to explain. Plus, Pete is going to bring the heat. Getting ready to pitch the one Dow stock he says could bring a little magic to your portfolio. Huh. Yes, that's a hint. The huh. name when Fast Money returns. Hmm. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Back in July, Pete said there was a big box breakout ahead. Oh, huh. They've had three straight years of sales growth. Oh, by the way, their online growth, 20% annually. And when you really look at what they're doing in the margin area as well, that's expanding. So they're winning there as well. This is a company I want to own. I like this company. I like what they're doing. I got a lot of those. It was a good call. Best Buy shares up 35% since oh. I think Pete was wearing the same tie. Is that the same tie? Too. I got a lot of ties like this. You had to give him a break. Yeah. Pete is colorblind. I'm not making fun of his affliction. He just happens not to be. not sure it's an affliction. I wasn't making it's fun just, of him. I was just stating you know, so an observation. You just did. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. He just anyway. threw me under the bus. That's all right, Pete. What do you do I, now? I it's a great tie. Still. You can wear it as much as you want. <laughs> wear it every day for all I care. <laughs> looks fantastic. Best Buy, yes, still like it, and they are, they're taking it to Amazon. They're bringing it right at them, so yes. And all it's right. a great Minnesota solid company. Of course, Minnesota, yeah. the common yeah. theme here. bring it through. Well, well, since Pete hit it out of the park with Best Buy, why don't you give us another home run idea, Pete? All right, so I've got an idea coming at you today, and it's a stock that Dan brought up. <laughs> we talked about this earlier today. I talked about the fact that I bought this actually today, Disney. And it's interesting because I love the management. Bob Iger is absolutely the man. The acquisitions that he has made over time have been phenomenal. Did he make mistakes along the way? Absolutely. Was he slow to get to streaming? Absolutely. 
But they did finally make the deal with BAMTECH. That's going to come into play in the not-too-distant future. That's going to get them into, they're going to at least position them into the, stre the streaming world. Growth across the parks and studios. A lot of people discount the idea that the parks, hotels, they're able to actually show that kind of growth. The growth there has actually been very impressive. They're killing it in the studios, but everybody always wants to talk about ESPN, right? Well, what about the idea that potentially with what we've seen over the last couple of days and what's potential for the future, that ESPN maybe gets a nice little boost off of this because of the gambling and that, that whole idea of how those are going to mesh together. I think it's going to be something that's going to actually propel ESPN and maybe add to the viewership, the OTT, all of that. I think when you look at the fundamental story, and if we want to get, I'll clear that and we'll get to the chart. The fundamental story is this. They buy back their shares, great dividend, cash flows all the time. I think this is a company that, you can see the lack of performance. I think performance is in the future. I bought the stock today, and I will be selling calls against this every month, creating a little bit of added dividend to what I see here. I don't think it's going to explode higher. I think the stock will go higher. Tim has a question, I think. Yeah, hey, Pete, do you, when you look at Disney, do you do it on an apples-to-apples -apples basis against the other media companies? You just pointed out their consumer products business and what right. goes on in parks, et cetera, uh, which I believe gets them a better multiple. You tell me what you think. Yes, I, I do agree, Tim. I do not compare that to most of the other media companies because of that. They are far more diverse than that. And because of that, I think Disney's kind of in their own area, actually. I love what they're doing, Tim, though. And Shanghai, I didn't even bring that up, but that's one more area where I see the fuel that actually can get this stock going. Shanghai. Pedro, quickly yes, over sir. here, Guy. Nice to see you. Good to we, see you. Is there a concern, perhaps, that they would overpay for the Fox assets? Um, I don't think so. I don't think they're going to get into a war guy. I mean, that's always a potential possibility, obviously. But I don't think that's going to happen. Hopefully that doesn't happen. I think Bob Iger, again, he's the guy. When we talk about media stocks, is there anybody we think is better right now? I don't think so. And because of that, I don't think he will overpay. All right. Let's vote. Tim. Um, look, I agree with what Pete has to say. I think it's a great company all around. Their cable business partially an issue. But I put the Musketeer ears on my ponytail front. <laughs> That's what I did. Yeah, Appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Great job. Yeah. Uh, Dan, what do you say? Look at how creative I am. Uh, I'm also a buyer. Uh, <laughs> figures, But, you know, I actually think this gambling thing could be really interesting, especially at a time where ESPN is really setting their sights. They just launched ESPN Go. I think this could really cause a lot of engagement for that app that they need to work. Guy? Look at what I wrote there, Mel. And what, what, does what does that mean? What does that mean? What, I don't know. what. How does that translate to buy or sell? Every time I go, I just jump on that. And I'm, I'm going to say that's a buy. And I tell you, I agree. This gambling, this could be the, the buoy, the life preserver, the vest, the whatever you want to say for ESPN. You want to apologize really? about that comment about his tie? No. <laughs> Although this tie is very Georgetown University, the blue oh, and gray. That's a beautiful color. Buys all around here on the desk. But do you out there think Pete's pitch for Disney has the magic touch? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fastly. We got the results later on in the show. Plus, legal sports betting getting one step closer to reality this week. Contessa Brewer is in Vegas, where the casinos have been weighing in on the move. Contessa. Yeah, I'm at Caesars. I got a big interview with the CEO here, Mark Persora. We'll talk about the potential upsides and the potential downsides. And also, I'm going to try to work in a reference by Kenny Rogers, the gambler. Still ahead on Fast Money. Welcome back to Fast Money. Casino stocks mixed on the day as investors digest the big winners and losers in the sports betting ruling. Our Contessa Brewers live in Las Vegas with the very latest details. Hi, Contessa. Hi there, Melissa. You know, Merrill Lynch predicts the revenues from go, gross gaming will, from sports wagering, 
sports wagering will skyrocket. Right now, $200 million or so. They think in five years, it could be as much as $10 billion. Look for the game makers, these equipment manufacturers, scientific games, international gaming technology to benefit. In fact, Argus Research tells me they think that uh, IGT alone could see a $100 million boost in EBITDA alone. Uh, the regional casinos, Penn and Boyd, they operate casinos in the Midwest and in the South, could see a big boost. The big guys, MGM and Caesars, are ready to roll in New Jersey and then in Mississippi, which could have sports gambling legal by the end of June. And I talked with CEO uh, Mark Frisora at Caesars about the upside and the downside. Well, we're excited because we think it's we're in the best position to take advantage of it. We've been very focused on digital and mobile as platforms that we want to incorporate in our business model, and this plays right into that. Are you concerned at all about some of the negatives that come up, that the potential for game fixing will increase, that gambling addiction could be more widespread than it currently is? We actually think that those, those issues will be more resolved because what happens today, it's an illegal market and people are, you know, it's not, it's not monitored properly um, and there's an awful lot of stuff that goes on that um, will not go on in, uh, in a what I call legalized environment. So we actually think it'll clean up the game and clean up sports betting. And look, he's looking at more than a dozen states with some kind of legislation already in the works. But they're also factoring in all these companies, what are the regulatory hurdles? What could the taxes be? What could be the return on investment in these cases? All factors in what they see as revenue at the end. Let's face it, in gambling, you never count your money. When you're sitting at the table. There wow. There you go, Melissa. Strong. Wow. Very oh, nice. Man. Hidden talent. Keep going. That's go Contessa. That's impressive. That's very <laughs> impressive. Keep going. I know. I was waiting for her to continue. Right in the core. Those are the only lyrics man. you know. It's not acapella. Or, or was it that you just want me to walk away? <laughs> Drop the mic. I mean, that's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, Contessa. That was amazing. <laughs> Contessa Brewer, live from Las Vegas. Joining us now is former TiVo CEO and former NBC executive vice president Tom Rogers, currently executive chairman at Winview Games and a CNBC contributor. Tom, um, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How do you break down the winners now that we've had more than 24 hours to think about this ruling and the impact. Well, first, I am no relation to Kenny Rogers, and I can't <laughs> sing, but Winview, is, Winview Games is going to sing in this environment, I promise you. <laughs> How do I break down the winners? Well, I think, uh, as, uh, as, as Pete mentioned, as Guy mentioned yesterday, the TV thing is not just going to be a boost. Mm. The TV thing is going to be huge. This Merrill Lynch estimate, $10 billion, Europe right now, where gaming like this has been legal for a long time, where people are playing along on their mobile phones while they watch television, 65 million people a year over there doing it, the size of the industry, just that sector, $160 billion of consumer money running through that. So this is enormous. It is going to change the television experience in sports because it makes it so much more exciting. Uh, the t t TV ecosystem uh -huh. will be big winners. The leagues more than anybody. Right, because the leagues and will get... And Tim said that yesterday. The teams, the leagues, the leagues they're going to be the big winners. The leagues get some sort of integrity fee, maybe 1% of, of the, the winnings e or so. E even if they don't get an integrity fee, they and there's going to be a lot of stakeholders fighting for every little piece of this. Right. We haven't begun to see the regulatory fights that are going to break out. 
the leagues are going to be the big winners because their big money comes from television rights. And television is going to be so boosted by what's going on here, they're going to be the ultimate beneficiaries. I, I understand the argument in terms of the TV viewing, but I don't understand how it will change um, consumer behavior. This is a behavior that consumers have really adapted to. I mean, they, they don't bother watching these long games anymore. They check in on their phone. They look at clips that are the highlights. They look at the scores. Isn't that enough for, the, for betting? That, that, that's I'm not, not a the gambler, experience so. <laughs> over there. In, in Europe, you're watching a right, soccer but, game. But did Europe have that decline in sports viewership ratings and then get introduced to gambling and see the pickup in viewership? Is it really a parallel example? Well, it's, they've, they've been having this going on for a long time, and we've just been seeing sports ratings decline for the last couple of years. So the sports uh, industry over here needs this badly because ratings are down. Cable sub fees are down. They're losing subscribers. ESPN's lost 15 million subscribers in the last couple of years. I don't disagree with your analysis at all that they're going to be a big boost from it, but they need a big boost yeah, from right. it. And uh, the change in television behavior has really been among younger audiences. Right. And people don't sit through games for three hours the way they used to. If a game's not close, there's so many viewing options, people are out of there. Um, what this has done is held people, even if the game's not good, what's going on yeah. in, the, in the living room right. in terms of people talking about what's going to happen next and putting money against it is going on. We are, we are already doing this. You're going to ask me how are we already doing this? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, what is Winview doing now, now <laughs> that the ruling has come out? Well, we've been into this for a while. And you say, how can you do that? The ruling just came yeah. out yesterday. And the answer is, WinView does this as a game of skill today. FanDuel, DraftKings, Fantasy. A lot of people think, what's the big deal? This was already resolved. Didn't we hear about gambling and the Fantasy guys a while ago? Well, it was determined they're games of skill. WinView is a game of skill, meaning what? Well, you get 20, 25 questions over the course of a half hour of a, a quarter of a football game, quarter of a basketball game. You're testing your sports IQ. It's kind of the equivalent of HQ trivia, where you test your trivia IQ. <laughs> we do that as a game of skill today. It's very much totally uh, linked to the synchronization of what's going on in the broadcast. Gambling would mean, well, you don't have to do it as a game of skill. You can do it the way they do in Europe. Is a corner kick going to be headed into the goal? Yes or no, five bucks. Right. And that has a dynamic to it that has entranced millions of television users over there. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is not a, just a gambling industry thing and a small thing for leagues, teams, and the television industry. This is enormous for the television right. industry. Tom, thanks so much for yeah. coming by. We awesome. appreciate it. Thank Great you for having me. Appreciate Tom Rogers. it. Um, he compared it to HQ Trivia, a company that... We love that, HQ Trivia. We, I, I love... I mean, it's addictive. Yeah, it is. It really, you know, the, these are... We're talking about engagement, right? And yeah. And things that keep you connected. And I just want to make another point. All of us sit around, we watch games, and what do we do? We're watching what people are tweeting about the game. This is going to be good for Twitter, too. I think the increased engagement, watching TV, watching the sports, betting on it, I think you're going to see, um, at least in that vertical, in sports for Twitter, is going to be good. I think this is an environment, Guy, you really better bring your A game, because I crush Guy in sports in trivia of, all the time oh. on, on, the, on the commercials in this place. So... Um, look, <laughs> bottom line, I also think this is an overlay to eSports, too. So if you look at what's going on here, and I think this is effectively what WinView can be doing. You've got, you've got people playing along at home, and then you've also got these games that are actually people participating in the sports and betting on it. All right, still ahead. One trader's betting that one of the best-performing Dow stocks this year could be on the verge of a massive breakout. We'll give you the name. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in a stormy Times Square. Hope you got your umbrella out. Much more Fast Money right after this. I <laughs>
I tilled an acre of my property. You tilled an acre of your property. Okay, welcome back to Fast Money. <laughs> Despite the markets cooling off today, one trader is betting on a big breakout for one hot Dow stock. Dan's over at the Plasma to break it all down. Hi, Dan. Yeah, so let's talk Nike. I mean, this is a stock that's outperforming the Dow. It's outperforming its uh, consumer discretionary peers. It's up almost 11% in the year. Um, call activity today was two times that of puts. And there was just one trade that caught my eye when the stock was trading at 69.20. There was a buyer of 1,000 of the June 8th weekly 70 calls paying 96 cents for those those break even uh, on june 8th on the close at 70.96 not too far away from here and when you look at this chart real quickly um you know you're seeing a bit of tension kind of building here that's 70 bucks that's the breakout level here we got a really nice wedge going here and i just want to kind of look at the next chart this is a five-year chart this thing has already been consolidating above those prior highs so consolidating in this range this company does not report earnings until probably the third week of June. So this is not a play on that. I couldn't find any other um, identifiable catalyst between now and June 8th. But this one's setting up as a nice breakout on any decent fundamental news. All right. Thanks for that, Dan. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, we've got the results from the Twitter poll. Ooh. By the way, it's time. Dead heat. So vote. It's a Well, it may be a small world after all, but Pete is still having the time of his life because America is buying his pitch for Disney. It was close, close, close. 51 to 49, the closest margin on record. Pete gets more of these than anybody. Final trade time. Pete, what do you say? You know what? Home Depot sold off after earnings. Giddy up, it was time to buy. Christmas in May. (laughs) Tim Seymour. Caesars was a buy on a turnaround story. Before this news, it's now more of a buy. Dan. Yeah, I really like his Disney call, and I like the idea of selling out of the money calls against it, too. Oh, look at that. You, Dan. Gee. Be careful out there in the storm, people. Yes. It's, da- it's dangerous out there. No flying. Put my, put my, put my final trade up there. Because you can't remember you know, it. Anna Tarko. <laughs> <laughs> you can't remember well done, it. By the way. Thanks for watching. See back here at 5. Mad Money starts right now. I love what you did there. <laughs> that was good. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.